Imagine building an organization that provides not just for you and your family, but for the families of hundreds more. A brand recognized as a leader in your field. Why is it that some leaders are able to inspire a team and have a profound impact on our world, while others attempt to beat their teams into submission through micromanagement and managers who, regardless of title, are not leaders, costing their business to lose great talents and resources through attrition and toxic culture, ultimately running a great brand right into the ground? There is something else at play here, and we want to know why. It's your brand. Protect it. Protect it from both the outside and inside of your organization. Welcome to Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, alongside co-host David Morrow. We explore great leaders, great brands, and the reasons why they succeed. We also take a look at stories of toxic cultures and the fall of some iconic brands. We'll play brand trivia and interview some of the leading entrepreneurs in today's business world. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the episode, and please don't forget to subscribe and follow. Let's begin. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, David Morrow, in the studios today, along with my co-host, Mark Mosher. Mark, good afternoon. Hey, David. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. In our studios, we have celebrated guest, Anna Cabrera. Anna, welcome. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we are really excited to have you. Um, we plan on discussing your brand, your view on life, leadership, um, things of that nature. And then um, I think we get to play a little uh, brand uh, trivia today. So we're excited about that as well. Okay. So tell us, you know, um, for those who don't know you, um, uh, tell us a little bit, you know, where you live, where you're from, kind of and what you're doing right now. Well, I'm originally from Manila, Philippines, and we moved to Windsor, Ontario many, many moons ago. Um, I'm a bit of a multi-hyphenate, I guess, I've, I've been described as. I'm currently the Chief Communications Officer for a company called Menzies Automotive Group, which yes. is Canada's largest restoration automotive parts supplier. And I came to them by way of my own company. I had left the newspaper industry after about 15 years or so um, in recognition of the decline of that industry, but with a great love still for business and content and communications PR. And I went out on my own and took this client on who then invited me to join him. Um, but in the interim, in between all of that stuff, a partner and I had actually started an executive coaching business, which led to personal coaching. So all of this stuff happened within the last two to five years. So life's been very, very busy. That's, that's excellent. And how long have you been uh, living in Canada? Since, I'm going to age myself now, since 1988. Oh, Which okay. is impossible because I'm 12. Well, you, yeah, I was going to yeah. say you were two then. So you, you, <laughs> moved so you moved at a young age. That's great. I totally did. That's fantastic. And then do you still have family back in the, back in the Philippines? Do you, I do. They're, they're everywhere. I think if you know, you know any Filipino, our families are all over the world. Right. And, yeah, none in Indianapolis, though. No. 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 There's not. There's... there's no, there's not. Um, <laughs> there's not a huge, not a huge Hispanic population here that I've seen either. But uh, but that's okay. It's all good. So I'll come um, and visit. I'll need to fill that. 
fill that void. Right. You are absolutely <laughs> welcome. We will, we will, uh, well, that would be great. We will even open up a full restaurant for you. That would be great. I would love to have that. So, um, so tell us a little bit about your um, about the company that you started. Like, tell tell us. Well, what's what's the mission? What's the drive? Well, the the one I want to talk about today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it, God, it seems so trite, you know, and you're like, oh, it's Anna Cabrera coaching, like Mark Mosher, you know, <laughs> yeah. right? David Morrow. Uh, I would, I would, I would subscribe to Anna Cabrera coaching. I would not subscribe to Mark Mosher. Yeah, not a oh, oh, Mark, oh Mosher coach, Mark, Mark Mosher coaching is coached it hurts by David a little Morrow, bit. but he's coached <laughs> by me. So yeah. when I'm at the top of that sort of that's ball, a that is a slow train to nowhere. Oh, no, I don't believe it. I'll be your first, I'll be your first customer, Mark. I like that. Thank you. Well, you know, I'd, I'd had a, a history with, with mental illness. I, I had postpartum depression pretty severely with my eldest son who turns 19 next month. And um, the experience was absolutely terrifying. So, you know, through that process, when I had physicians telling me you need to be on medication, I had therapists saying you need to be on medication. I really, really resisted it. And I really wonder if that was a bit of a mistake because it extended that illness for so long. But right. what that did was over a decade of living through that and then subsequently a decade of learning about it and educating myself about it, I found myself in the space where I really wanted to help people, not just those you know, who were leaving or recovering from a mental illness because make no mistake coaching is not therapy right there are certain things that we can't assist in this realm in this sphere but i wanted to help people move forward my therapy was so focused on what happened in the past how did you get here how did you even develop postpartum in the first place not just from a chemical level so when i decided to create a business out of helping people. It really did stem from something selfish, admittedly, because I had suffered so much and it was cathartic for me to learn about it and then by extension to share it with other people. So that's what I've done. It's, that's the business that I've built is to assist people moving forward instead of ruminating and looking back all the time. So that's let me good. ask you this. Thank you so much for opening up that and for sharing that with us. Yeah. Let me ask you this. When you talk about postpartum depression, can you can you explain to the audience and to these two middle-aged men that you're talking to some of them, what it is that you're that you're talking about? I mean, I've had I've had family members that have battled uh, with mental illness myself. Um, so I'm I'm familiar with it from their from an anecdotal sense. Like I hear what they're saying and the pain that they're going through. I empathize with it. I sympathize with it. Um, but what, what, how does that differ from clinical depression or bipolar or any of these other um, DSM-5 diagnoses? Oh, well, first, thank you for being supportive of those who have undergone mental illness. That, that sensitivity is, is needed. The stigma, I think, is starting to lift now. Mm -hmm. The more we talk about it like this, the more the... the we're accepting of the fact that mental illness is as prevalent as backaches, as headaches, as stomach aches. It, it definitely helps. 
And as with all different types of depression or mental illness, postpartum too is different for everyone. There's postpartum psychosis, right? Mm -hmm. There's there are different levels of it. Mine was not severe when it first started. It was it literally started as the baby blues, which you might have heard about. And this is 19 years ago that you're talking about. 19 years right? ago. So yeah. it was, you know, mental illness was not on Instagram and not posted about and not discussed on social media because it was non-existent. Like there was no social media. You didn't have self-help um, as we know it today. It, as we know yeah. it today, yeah. right? It, it wasn't mainstream. So. No, and it, it, it was not hip to talk about it, right? Exactly. It was right. not. It wasn't cool. Um, it wasn't cool to be vulnerable. No, and and to some extent, you're right. It didn't feel real for some people. It was, you know, baby blues. Moms had talked about it years before. You would have seen some kind of reference to the baby blues in some books, maybe. But I was also really young. I was straight out of school, freshly married with a mortgage. My girlfriends were traveling Europe or looking at master's degrees or doctoral degrees. And here I was with a child and a husband and in a home. And really, I was a child myself. So I had attributed all of my sadness to missing out, which ironically, I mean, I was rushing out of my childhood to get to a marriage and to a mortgage and to a child. And here I was with all of these things that I created by design and was unhappy with it or or so i so i thought right. so the belief was that i was just going through hormonal changes i was nursing at the time i was in in this house in the middle of the country again my girlfriends were in the city and experiencing something very very different from mine but the longer you sit in depression the more you change change chemically, right? Neurologically, you, you are altered. So because I resisted medication, because I it was knowing what years had gone on that I was I was on, a shattered human being. I was moving. Hang on, sure. your, your um, I think your Wi-Fi is going in and out, or maybe it's ours. Oh. I don't know if it's ours or if it's yours. I don't um, know. Could you just back up just a little bit? And um, you were saying you were in the home in the country. Um, your friends were back in the city. And then you started to it short it out after that. It short it out after that. Hey everyone, the Brandology team has a special coming soon, and it's the rise and fall of an iconic international social media platform. At its peak, the website was valued at over $12 billion and had 75,000 new users every day. But within a few short years, it was liquidated and sold for pennies on the dollar. What went wrong? What caused this huge brand to fizzle? It was launched in 2004 and was acquired just a year later for over a half a billion dollars from Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation. In fact, for the next three years, it was the largest social media site in the world. In 2006, it surpassed Google as the most visited site in the United States. So where in the world is it? Why is your new band's music not on it? Why do you not have an account on it anymore? Why even is this ridiculous podcast not hosted on it? 
What happened and why did it happen? Come listen as we explore in this next series, the rise and fall of the iconic social media platform, MySpace. So don't miss it. And now back to our episode. I think I had explained how I think I had built this life that I thought I wanted and got really depressed as a result of obtaining this life that I wanted. And before I knew it, it was three years later, five years later, seven years later, and I was still there. I was a shattered human being. I was functioning. I was very, very high functioning that for a long time, nobody knew, but I would wake up in the morning and not have any motivation to, to wake up. And I would go to bed at night and hope that I wouldn't wake up. It was that severe, but I would, again, go through the day successfully paying a mortgage and carrying a job and and supporting this child and ended up having another child on top of that. So nobody would have known it was something that I kept very, very close until I couldn't anymore. And it started to manifest itself in my daily life. So did your second child exacerbate the situation or was it? I actually think it improved Mm, second child. Yeah. Yeah. There was a different motivation there. There was, a distraction, should I say? I hate uh, to call my second child that because right. no. you know, he was planned and it was a beautiful experience. What I do, what I do feel really sad about is how much I missed as a result of having been in that fog. So in the business that I'm in now, when we talk about mindfulness and we talk about being present, it's to really consciously have a person take a look at what is happening in this very moment so that two years down the line or even two weeks down the line, you don't look back in resentment and in regret that you missed so much because you were stuck somewhere you didn't want to be. I'm curious, Anna, when you were, when you were in that space, were you, were you self-aware? Were you aware where you were or where the path you were going down? So you don't even realize what does that look like? I just can't imagine. Well, in retrospect, because I spent so much time in therapy, I think I was aware of it. But now, where I am today, looking back, I'm like, was I just going through the motions? Was this stuff that I read and I was sharing this with the therapist so that it felt like I was making my way forward? I feel within in that 10 years of postpartum depression, which turned into clinical depression, it almost feels like a, a book that you read often and are pretty familiar with, mm-hmm. but you also are aware it's a book. Right. You know that you experienced it, but it was just, you didn't live in that, in that book. You enjoyed it, and not that I enjoyed the depression, but I was very, very aware of it. But I, I can't say I'm even the same person. Right, so there's a certain level of detachment? Yes. Oh. Indeed. It's surreal. So, it's, right. it's surreal is the only way I can describe it. What it sounds it. like, yeah. So mm-hmm. then how did that... How did that arc progress? So it continued on, and before you know it, years ago. Years ago. So your second child. Yes. And then, and then how do you turn it around? I mean, I still know, every, everybody still has days, right? We all have days. Mm-hmm. But how did you begin to manage? I had, this is, this is a wonderful 
serendipitous tale. When I was nine, when we first moved to Canada, we were Catholic, went to church, the church next door. There was a parish priest that I completely fell in love with for his kindness and compassion. Fast forward to when I'm looking for probably my eighth or ninth therapist, because I wasn't working with anybody else. And by chance, I saw this man's name, this therapist's name, and I thought, why does that sound so familiar? And his last name was Cardinal. And if you are a fan of folklore, you know, faith stories at all, you know that the Cardinal symbolizes hope in, in some cultures. So I thought, well, you know, they've got nothing to lose. I'm going to call this this man it had was that parish priest that i oh, served wow. altar oh, girl wow. <laughs> right like 20 years before and the greater story about this is that he was he was a homosexual priest who left the priesthood because he fell in love so he had choices to make and i absolutely adored the story not only did i have that connection with him from those previous years, but because I knew he had undergone one of the most painful things, someone who chose that vocation would have had to choose. And he did. He chose to get married. Very, very happy. I felt the sense of hope. He was my cardinal, literally, because I felt like, okay, through this, I'm going to, to carve my way out. And it was through him. It was his scientific background, it was how he explained things to me, and it was through the power of faith that I really exited that period of my life, which I look back on now with utmost love because I couldn't be here. You can't be appreciative of the light unless you've seen the absolute darkest sure. moments in time, right? What, what a, Were there any practical tool sets that he gave you or um, self-talk uh, tips or um, uh, you know instructions that he gave you or was it the fact that he was so inspirational to you that along the way you would get guidance no no he he was um, instrumental even in my my practice today he introduced me to stop stop right um, and some people don't even, they don't care what SDOP stands for. It stands for different things for different people. But for me, it was literally seeing a stop sign whenever I would see a thought that I didn't appreciate, a thought that made me uncomfortable, just stop it. There's no, there's no need for you to keep going and explore it and, and ruminate in it or, or live in it. Stop it. So uh, explain to us what STOP stands for. Well, like I said, it's different things for different people, right? So for me, it, it literally was that. It was, it was a stop sign. It was, here's the, the roads of your life and here is the, the traffic of your life. Make that decision to consciously stop what it is that you're doing mm -hmm. and, and move forward. He also had um, the ABCs, which was, you know, anticipate behavior consequence. So if you can anticipate your sadness or if you can anticipate acting on an addiction, for example, what is the behavior that follows it and then what is the consequence? So those are some of the things that he started to, to help me implement in my life. Um, and when I felt like I had control of the sadness and the anxiety, and I tell this to my clients today, 
when you know you are consciously making this choice to stay here instead of thinking that the anxiety has power over you and it's actually controlling you, that one single accepted, allowed thought is very, very empowering. So even if a client says, why can't, I'm, I'm not leaving this anxious space. Well, that's okay. Are you choosing to stay in that anxious space? Well, actually, yeah, I am. And that by itself is very, very powerful. So with the Cardinal, you, you still, the two of you still speak to this day. Unfortunately, no. No? It's been a couple of years, but the last time I saw him, uh, it was like coming home. So mm. I, it's thank you for asking. I really should pick up the phone and give him a call. Well, there and you I go. <laughs> think it's, you know, it's going to be one of those things that it's a lifelong, a lifelong yeah. connection. I, I certainly wouldn't be here if, if it weren't for him. I know that. Well, there's always those friends that even if you don't speak for years, as soon as you start talking again, you pick up wherever you left off. Exactly. Definitely. So that's amazing. So um, let me ask you, who else has been your your inspiration to, you know, let's talk about brands a little. Let's talk about your, the fact that you didn't just take this job and go work for somebody else only, right? You created your own brand and you do a remarkable job at it. And how, do you have, do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Did you, was there a professor in college? Was there somebody you grew up with? Who else um, has inspired you or who have you read about that's inspired you? Well, from a personal perspective, my parents being immigrants, were a huge inspiration continue to be there was a constant need to prove who they were again because of their asian heritage the accent the education from abroad they had so much to fight against and did so with a smile did so with gratitude did so with love there was never any resentment of well i have to prove myself because of the color of my skin it was I, I get to prove myself. I was given permission to move this, to this country. So I'm going to give this country back what I can give her. So that gratitude has been hugely inspirational. I look at it from a broader scale. I look at it. I don't know if you would have seen this, David, but I look at the Dalai Lama again, as, as cheesy as that might be. But when I see his compassion and I see his, his gentle ways and that, that heart and that purity, that's very, very humbling. We walk through our lives wanting more all the time. And the joy is in being satisfied with what's here, with being contented with what exists. Because once upon a time, what exists today is something we wanted five minutes ago, five years ago. When, when all of a sudden is it not good enough? So I, I want to be very conscious in business and in life and partnerships and relationships and parenting to remember that I once upon a time wanted this and to not diminish the pleasure of having this all of a sudden because I want something else. So you touched on something that is remarkable because I've known a lot of people that have dealt with this. Um, my background was in law. I was a trial attorney years ago. And there were a lot of people that at a young age, we were in our late 20s, early 30s, and several of my friends had achieved kind of what you would think you'd want to achieve, right? 
you were in the media, you were wealthy, you and and you you were you know within your region or whatever. You had a great reputation. You had respect. You had the finest you know uh, reservations at at, at at the restaurants, whatever it was. Right, all of the trappings of success were there, and one hundred percent of them got divorced. One hundred percent of them. Uh, with the exception of two, left the practice of law. They, I remember one of my best friends turning to me and saying, this is it? He goes, this is it? He goes, I gave up six Christmases. I worked six Christmases in a row, and this is it? He goes, there's got to be something else. And, you know, um, I'm just curious, is that something similar to what you're describing in the sense that you were young, you always wanted to grow up and have the husband and have the family and have the beautiful home in the suburbs. And you got it at a young age and you were like, is this it? Like this isn't right. Because when you're living it, you're like, this is not what I wanted. Right. Or it's not, this is not happiness. Right. Well, And that's just it. And thank you for touching on that. This positive psychologists talk about your happiness set point all the time, right? Everyone has a set level of happiness that is determined by genetics, experience, et cetera, et cetera. And especially in the Western world, because we are constantly chasing the next reward or praise pleasure point, we think that that's where happiness exists. What we don't realize is happiness is right here. So when you're constantly chasing it, if it doesn't exist in you, you're not going to find it in point A, point B, or point Z. It'll never be there because it's not there to find. It's not like it's you know a pirate ship and all these X's on the ground and all of a sudden you're going to see this treasure, which is joy. It's not. And we also mistake pleasure points for happiness, where these little moments of reward, like uh, an award, like a degree a certain salary, a certain car, that's not where happiness resides. Those are pleasurable, which is why they say, I think what's the, what's the point, the salary point, it's $75,000 or something. And after that, there is no happier. So you get to 75,000 and that's where, that's, that's pretty much the limit of where you may find happiness because it's enough to feed you. Tell Mark that all the time. I'm like, I'm not paying you anymore. You're you're as happy as you can be. That's as happy that's as you it. can. That's it. You're not getting any happier. You're at your limit. Reach yeah. the happy limit. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so that's, and that that's what it is. I think we we're so busy chasing, and it, it might be a, a, a Western mentality or a western philosophy to, to try to find the pursuit of happiness I mean, we, we think about that we talk about yeah, that you're it's a doing constitutional happiness. right it's yeah. actually built into our constitution that's amazing so let me ask you this did um what's your view on on leadership you you are a you are a culture um your title, I believe, even talks about like um, a a culture optimization um, specialist. What, what, explain to us what that, that is. So my partner and I, we started this executive coaching business and we decided to focus on culture. A lot of small businesses in our area were wondering why their turnover was so high, why they couldn't get people to stay, regardless of the money or the financial perks, benefits, 
things like that that were being offered, there was such a turnover. And this is a very union heavy environment too. So we, we had that to grapple with. And what we realized was that different people respond to different things. So we actually go into these businesses and it's very personalized, but we interview everyone and take them through the, their TKI, the Thomas Kilman instrument, to see how they respond, to see how they like to be communicated with, to see how they approach things, how they appreciate things. And everyone is so different, but the 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 business itself you're so focused on profit and loss and revenue all those things that business owners and management leaders sometimes forget the core values passion resilience loyalty um, inspiration so what we encourage people to do is go back to those core values you can always change your processes and your procedures but those values those things that you would stick to regardless of how much money you would make or lose exactly. because those are the things you stand for. That's where everything is born. That's where your vision is born, your mission, your, your, your everything. Even when everything falls to the ground, if those core values are still intact, you know they mean something to you and should mean something to everyone you invite into your organization. Let me ask you a, a question on culture. David and I have some shared values, and one of those is we feel that Fundamentally, if you if you put the if you hire the right people for the right reason and you put them in the right seat, you create the right culture that creates a positive outcome. Do you feel that culture can actually drive business or drive success? Absolutely. And I love your accent, by the way. <laughs> Thank I'm you. gonna be talking like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well we're we're reporting from the uh, Louisville uh, Kentucky. We're in uh, Kentucky today. Uh, oh. Kentucky today. I'm down. I'm down visiting Mark. Uh, in our okay. global, our global studios, right by a distillery. <laughs> oh, is it? All right. Well, now I really want to visit. Yes. Now you've got another reason to. Come. Now you have another yes. reason to come out. So yeah, but I I hesitate on saying the right people for the right positions for the right reason, because they may not be right for that role at the time, or forever or they might seem right and then you invite them in and you get to know them and they find a different place within the organization. So I go by how I was taught, which is you are, you can be colored, you can be molded, you can shift, you will change, you will evolve. Your personal experiences outside of your job, outside of this building you go to every day could very well reshape you. So you could, contribute different things as you grow within a company. So this is why I'm not good at HR. Because <laughs> invite everybody. I want right, to everybody's welcome. Come on. Everybody come on in, right? But it's it, it's nice to when you have someone like us come in, examine different people for who they are, for what they love, for what they enjoy and find spaces for them. That really builds a culture plus they feel heard they feel listened to they feel supported like i'm not just giving you my blood sweat and tears thank you for the paycheck i appreciate that but i can really be part of it and then they're buying in then they've got they've got stock in the business okay. because yeah. then they've become part of your fabric well that that kind of leads me to a second shared belief that we have is that we feel that you can lead from any position 
you know, the, the word manager or executive leader, whatever that, that may look like, that's, that's just a word, that's a title, that means nothing. That, would you believe that, that people can actually grow and develop and really lead from any position? Absolutely, absolutely. There are great leadership skills to be found in even entry-level positions. And as evidenced by shows like Undercover Boss, where they take the CEO and they have him start in custodial work, in retail, in what we consider grunt jobs when we're all high and mighty in our ivory towers, that humility and that hard work and that access to the public and to people who were just starting out reminds you of what's important, right? At, at a certain point, you do forget. You forget how to sweep the floor. You forget how to push a little bit of paper. You forget you need to support those who need the most help. Not to say that leaders don't have a hard job. They, they right. absolutely do. But it's nice to be reminded of the things that you need at the bottom. Hey, everyone. Mark and I are excited about this episode and all of our episodes. One goal of this podcast is to let everyone hear candidly from leaders themselves in their own words, unpolished and real. If you can realize that, you can lead, make an impact and transform places and people from any role or position, regardless of title, regardless of what organization you're with, or even as a stay-at-home parent, as a leader, then we've met our objective. Please send us your comments, suggestions for who we should have as our next guest to brandologypodcaststaff at gmail.com. That's brandologypodcaststaff at gmail.com. Thanks for listening as always. And now back to our episode. Yeah, and there's a difference between leaders and managers, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are in leadership positions because they have authority, but they're but they're not inspiring anybody, right? With their 12-point plans, they're not inspiring anybody to do anything, right? And people work for them for the paycheck, and they just put in the minimal effort. They do just enough so that they don't get fired, right? Absolutely. And then they move from job to job to job. And they go through life, meh. Like they go through life with, with not a lot of commitment, not a lot of passion, um, mm -hmm. but you know, and I've worked for those people, right? And I've been in my, and I've had my own business and I've had business partners that were like, that. then I've had people that have absolutely inspired, right? And I've had people that are like, I don't care what time it is, call me anytime. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it is because it's not work. I was mm -hmm. asked the other day, somebody said, you know, do you feel like you work too much? And I said, I don't even feel like I work. I said, <sighs> I literally would do what I do with if somebody would just pay my bills i literally would do this for free like i literally just love what i do and so yeah you want to call me at eight o'clock that's fine and you know it's it's, it's okay because at two o'clock in the afternoon if my children need me i'm going to go and take their call so mm -hmm. it doesn't like it's all just part of it it's just it's kind of an integral part of of who we've become when you find that right when you're doing things for the right reasons um then I think that you find that you're you're working for leaders, and then you give you the blood, sweat, and tears, and you make sure the job gets done, as opposed to working for a manager who's like, "Well, did you do those 15 things?" And yeah. that's it. And you, and right. it yeah, like whatever. I went and I did those 15 things. You might not have even done them, but you're going to go and you're going to record in your CRM program that you did 15 things. Did. You just want them to shut up. Right? Yeah, like yeah. that's not that's not helping anybody. That's not helping the manager. That's not helping the employee. It's not helping the clients who actually may need what you're trying to 
to to to to get in front of them. Like everybody loses with with that approach. And it's such a magic beanstalk or you know a glass slipper kind of a thing because most people are like that doesn't exist, David. That's not real. Who loves their job? No, yeah, it's, it's a lot of people. Real. Don't, but it is real. You're right. I mean, the three of us, I, I'm throwing you in there, Mark. Yep. But he works for me, so he better for him on this job. <laughs> he has to say it. So yeah. later, when we get off the phone, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll call you and let you know how it really feels. <laughs> All <cool>. right. <laughs> Put me over at the distillery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, let me ask you this. With, with all you've been through and everything you've come through, and to come out on the other side and achieving what you have, what's the future look like? What's next? God, if I know, and that's okay. I'm actually okay with that. One of the things that I realized that was giving me so much anxiety, it's the very definition of anxiety, was I didn't know what was coming next and that I couldn't control what was happening next. I am so okay in this moment that whatever tomorrow looks like, I know I'll be okay too. I mean, if you're looking at it from like, oh, what, you know, what are your plans? Well, of course, everyone wants a million dollar business and we'd like to be able to have a two day work week and, you know, a glass bottomed hut in <laughs> Bora Bora. Yes. You know, I'm in the distillery already. Can you tell? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing uh, that. That, that actually, <laughs> just on a personal level, that just really helped me. I really appreciate those words. I really do. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. It's it, the... Happiness is wherever you are. As long as you can allow that, you'll be okay wherever you go. Yep. Okay, well, this is the part of the episode in which we devolve into (laughs) the cultural phenomenon of brand trivia. Oh, God. Here we go. And so I'm going to go ahead and play the intro, and then we are going to get right into... Uh, brand trivia. So now let's go ahead with the intro. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome everyone to Brand Culture Trivia, where the points don't matter, but the brand does. In this segment, we play a trivia game against our guest. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, along with my co-host, David Morrow. David, tell us about the rules and the awesome prizes. Absolutely. The rules are as follows. You get to guess as fast as you can. You get as many answers as you want. And the first one to give the right answer wins a point. The first contestant to three points wins the game. What do you get if you win? Glad you asked. You get 14,684 Brandology bucks. What is that worth? Those are absolutely worthless. But we might send you a sticker for playing. So let's get started with brand culture trivia. David, why don't you spin the wheel of trivia and see what our first question is? All right, here I go. It is a heavy, heavy wheel. Anna, it's you against Mark. First one to win three points wins. And let me spin the wheel one more time because I, I didn't like some of the answers okay. that popped up. Okay, so now this is a slogan. All right. Tell me what brand what brand uses this slogan? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Horizon. 
Verizon. I thought you were. I thought it was a signal with Verizon. Verizon. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking well, at the screen. And we like don't even you. have Verizon in Canada. Oh, we even have Verizon. I know. Yeah. It's one to nothing. Anna's All right. Winning. I didn't Great understand job. the question. Great job, by the way. Oh, thank you. I think Mark's letting me win. <laughs> no. All right, let me see what else I can find here. Um, okay, fantastic. Uh, what brand of watch takes a looking but keeps on ticking? Swatch? Rolex. Nope, nope. Keep guessing. Seiko? Tag. brand of watch takes a licking but keeps on ticking? Ah, uh, Fossil. Nope. I'm out of watch brands. <laughs> I'm going to hold that one. I'm going to put that one up on the shelf over, All in, right. our, over in our world studios. We're going to hold that one for later. All right. Okay. So nobody got that one. So no. it is one to nothing. But I want to Google it now. Yeah, right. The answer is Timex. Oh, uh, here I am. Seiko. Yes. <laughs> Fossil. We're just going to name every watch brand. All right. Timex. What company hired director Ridley Scott to film a commercial which aired only once on TV during the 1984 Super Bowl. What company hired director Ridley Scott to film a commercial destined to air only once on TV during the 1984 Super Bowl? The hint is 1984. I wasn't even born yet. Oh I mean, neither. Right? <laughs> so it was it was voted one of the most influential commercials of all time by radio by advertising professionals. Doritos. And it aired one time in 1984. Yeah. What is the name of the company that did that? Doritos. No. Anything else? Come on. Come on. Pepsi. Come on. Coke. Good guess, good guess, no. Come on. Ridley Scott. Ridley Gladiator Scott. Ridley Scott, right? Yeah. Ridley Scott. You know, they did commercials. Oh, All right, we're going to put that one. Uh, we, Mark, you and I I'm equal list that. I'm <laughs> lifting that one up because that's a heavy one. I'm lifting that one Even up, if we um, were on the same team, I think we'd <laughs> still do this bad. It was Apple. Apple. Oh. Apple's commercial that introduced the Macintosh. Oh my how, gosh. And how 1984 right. will be nothing like 1984. All right. Did not know that. Not well, even okay. close. You know, Anna, it's okay. It's not like your profession is in IT. Like, oh, they, right. So it couldn't be on Jeopardy okay. either. It's not, like, it's not like you work for a company that is a reseller of Apple, like Mark. But that's okay. Okay, let's right. keep going. Um, Ouch. What <laughs> company created the video game The Legend of Zelda? What company created the video game Legend of Zelda? I wouldn't know this. But I'm a little Does it start with an E? Um, eSports. No, no, not, not eSports. What company created the video game Legend of Zelda? That shelf is going to be really heavy. I can put questions Oh my God. No one's getting 14,975 brandology points. <laughs> well, and I'm telling you this, we've got a, we've got a convertible Rolls Royce. We've got a Tesla in our e-store. Those brandology bucks are worth the fortune. Yep. They really are. 
Okay, nobody? I have no idea. The name is Nintendo. Oh, oh my god. Are you serious? Legend of Zelda. I figured Anna had like a 19 move. Like maybe she he would know. Oh. Okay. No, the the little one would have. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right. Come in here and yeah. have a lifeline. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, right. that would be a good lifeline. Good yes. Okay, but this one. What color was the original iPod? What color was the original iPod? Rose gold. White. Yes. Rose gold. I the like original. <laughs> I like rose gold. George Bush was president, I think. I they didn't like have rose, rose gold. gold back then. Sure, it's a real color. It's a real thing. They didn't have it. Uh, it rose is correct. And Cabrera is correct. It is now two nothing. Once again, let's do some math. Mark, if you had 10,000 times <laughs> the amount of points that you had right now, she'd still be winning. Yeah. So let's keep going. But you're saying there's a chance. But I'm saying there's a chance, man. All right. Merchandise 7X. Merchandise 7X is the secret ingredient in what soft drink? Merchandise 7X is the secret ingredient in what soft drink? Okay, is that 7 up? up? No. Keep going. Mountain Dew. You both guessed it. Dr. Pepper. Nope. Keep going. Sprite. She could win it all. Nope. Tab. It's not tab, Mark. Merchandise seven Coke? Yes. No, really? Merchandise seven X, and we have a winner. Anna Cabrera has destroyed Mark three to zero. Merchandise seven X is the secret ingredient in the soft drink Coca Cola. What even yeah. is merchandise seven? I don't know that I want to know I what merchandise, merchandise seven X is. It sounds a little scary, frankly. A little bit. That's wow. That's All right. Well, Mark, you know, in your defense, I was ridiculously <laughs> intelligent today. I saw you Googling. I did. I could see. Oh, you. I, was. Yeah. I was. I was trying. All right. So congratulations. You are the proud winner of 14684 Brandology Bucks. Our accounting department will be uh, getting in touch with you to wire transfer those funds. And you will have a long list of very, very valuable things in which you can select. I appreciate that. Thank you. I never no, win anything. No, no problem. Like you're, and you're going to be I'm, the, uh, the yeah. envy of the eye of the neighbors. Yes. Right. <laughs>
not nearly as challenging as we thought it was going to be from the employee perspective, but the response we had to give to customers who were very afraid, those messages had to be very carefully crafted. There was uh, a point where we had to explain why we were even open. Oh, and when you say in an auto group, this is new car sales or used car sales? No, this is a, a restoration automotive parts. So we provide restoration parts for vintage Corvettes, for muscle cars, classic cars. And it's uh-huh. already a very emotional industry, which I didn't realize. These are, and I tell people this all the time, our typical customer the typical avatar for a customer is a 55 to 60 year old male who's got disposable income. He has dreamed about owning a 57 Chevy all of his life. So sure. he's eight years old at heart. And if he can't get his steering wheel, it's a tantrum. It's very painful. He needs that steering wheel to finish the car. So throughout COVID, we thought that we were going to sever, suffer pretty severely because who's going to spend money on parts? our business swelled to exponential numbers that we were very, very surprised that we could do so well. Because again, these people have disposable income, nothing to do with their time. They're not going anywhere. So they're sitting in their garages and they're finishing. Wow, yeah, sure. Right, and again, to go back to it being emotional, I have to tell you guys the story. When I first started and I decided, again, to try to learn the culture and get on the phones to see what the ambassadors were experiencing with the customers. I spoke with a gentleman who was requesting a steering wheel and it was not coming and we could not find the steering wheel between here and China. It was very, very difficult to get this car restored. This was the last piece. And I said to him, well, what are you going to do when you finally drive it? And he said, well, it's not for me. I'm actually terminal. I'm stage four. I have only a few weeks left and I need to finish this car to donate to the hospital that's taken care of me. Wow. Guys, I was sobbing. Wow. This is that automotive connection that we don't don't think about. Yeah. So when you meet people like that, you realize how trivial your stress is. And how trivial, like when I think about the anxiety that I have and the stress that I have, and then, you know, our job is IT, so we were in hospitals, we're everywhere, and then we walk through like the child cancer ward, and we realize, I'm like, what am I, what am I worried about? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I was gone tomorrow, I've lived longer than a lot of these kids that even get that chance to. So it's just, it's, it's, we're, we're actually blessed and we don't even recognize it. Yeah, it's very sobering. Yeah, exactly. And our team is always reminded, as angry as these customers can get, as demanding as they are, we don't know the reasons why. Sometimes they're just difficult, just because they're difficult. You're going to get that in any customer-facing industry. But this in particular really has given me a different perspective as to why people want what they want, when they want it. So during this COVID situation where there's so much fear of... What's going to happen to me? Am I going to catch it? Are my days numbered? Their only outlet for entertainment, at least these customers that are that we are seeing, right. is in these cars that they hold so dear. And all the memories and all the sentimental value that are attached to the cars that have gone back generations, not just for them. It was dad drove it, grandpa drove it, uncle Bob drove it. Right, or it sparks a memory of childhood. 
right? Or the first girlfriend or the first date or whatever it might be. Yes, exactly. Well, let so me, this um, COVID has exacerbated those emotions. Sure, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Let me lighten the, uh, the mood a little bit. I'm curious. I had mentioned to you before we, uh, before we started recording that I had a feeling you were a foodie. So along those lines, I've got a couple questions for you. So spaghetti with meatballs or meat sauce? Meatballs. Okay. Um, pasta with Alfredo sauce or pesto sauce? Alfredo. Okay. Whatever's the least healthy, Mark, is probably <laughs> yeah, what I'm going to... That's what I was looking for. Thank you, Anna. That's yes. exactly what I was looking we, for. We get along super we're, well. We're a kindred heart. We <laughs> are. Much. Well, let me, um, let me say thank you on a, on a personal level first. Um, some of the words you shared really uh, struck home with me personally, and I, I appreciate you sharing and opening up. Uh, we've had another guest uh, several episodes ago, but... Uh, for one of the first times publicly spoke about um, battling depression. Yeah, battling depression. And it was really, he circled back afterwards and said how therapeutic it was. And the, the uh, responses that we got from that episode, it was just incredible that people really, you know, they wanted to hear more. You had mentioned earlier that the stigma is kind of going away and the veil is kind of coming off. And I think the more that we can talk about these things openly and have good constructive discussions is that it's, it's got to help the situation. Um, so I really do appreciate that and I appreciate your time. And so as we wrap up, I always have one question I kind of like to, to ask at the end. It's when you look back when you were, when you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grow up? Do you remember the movie, The Neverending Story? Yes, very much. Remember the girl, the empress in the ivory. Yes. <laughs> That's who I wanted to be. That's good. Set your goals high. I like that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like really high. Like <laughs> unbelievably good. beyond imagination high. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. I loved that movie because of what it represented, that in this little spark of light contained the world's hope. And no matter how dark everything gets, no matter how hopeless it gets, and as we see now, especially in this very divisive society, my friends in the United States, you're going through some very, very challenging times, there is still a spark of hope. You just have to find it. That's awesome, Anna. That's excellent. Anna, thank you so much for your time. We thank you. absolutely welcome you to come visit us anytime. Yep, you can come to the distillery with me. Absolutely. Okay. You're on. You're welcome here anytime. And I guarantee you this will not be our last conversation. So um, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And Thank we, you, gentlemen. Uh, we will uh, send this out to you, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay, sounds good. Thanks so much. Have it. Thanks, make it a great well, day. Make it a great day. We'll talk to you. Thank you. Hey, David, that was another great episode. We tend to post one or two a week. Uh, unfortunately, don't really have a way of wrapping this up. No, uh, no, we really don't have anything formal or fancy or technological. Um, thank you for listening. Please follow and subscribe. Turn notifications on so that when we post the next episode, you will be notified of the new content. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Everyone, thanks for listening. 